You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. Joining me on the line this evening is Samantha Nichols, Executive Director of the Organ Donor Foundation, and we'll be chatting about Organ Donor Month and the desperate need for more people to sign up as donors. Professor Linda Gale Becker, COO of the Desmond Tutu HIV Foundation, will be chatting with us, and she'll be telling us about the launch of the Tutu Teen Truck, and that's a new mobile screening unit to reduce the impact of HIV on vulnerable Cape Town youth. Paul Miller is CEO of Pro, the third largest pharmaceutical manufacturer in South Africa, and he'll be telling us about Synchro Breathe. It's an innovative inhaler for managing obstructive airway diseases, and that's currently in development. And then Sylvia Herford will be joining us, and she's written a fabulous book called More, Allergen-Free Recipes for the Whole Family. And this is the perfect book for managing your children's allergies or even preventing allergies altogether. And then just a reminder, there's a list of available documents for Health Matters on Facebook, Health Matters on SAFM. If you'd like any of those, post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. Or you can contact me directly on healthmatters at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. ANN 7, SATI 2015 brings you U.S. singing superstar Christina Aguilera alongside international pop sensation Jason Derulo and many top South African artists on 17th October 2015 at Ticket Pro Dome, Johannesburg. Tickets will be available from Monday 24th August at ticketpro.co.za. We know in the build-up to this Rugby World Cup, there are lots of injuries on our side. Wamiyap injured his wrist, hitting the TV just to get it going. Mantua twisted an ankle, dancing when we scored the try against New Zealand. Manoj hit his head in the doorway, jumping for joy. And Lisa, well, she lost a voice, screaming for our team. We would like you to know that your sacrifices were not in vain. And the SABC will bring you the 2015 Rugby World Cup on SABC radio stations and on SABC TV. So you can truly be a part of it all. The 2015 Rugby World Cup is here. Habash! Let's do this! You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Well, statistics from the South African Organ Donor Foundation indicate that there are about 4,300 South Africans awaiting life-saving organs and cornea transplants. In light of this being Organ Donor Month, South Africans are urged to register as organ donors. And joining me this evening is Samantha Nichols, Executive Director of the Organ Donor Foundation. Samantha, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. Rather alarming to hear 4,300 people are waiting for life-saving organs and cornea transplants. Absolutely. I think um, many people don't know that 4,300, you know, it's, it's a number. It's only reality when it's affecting someone in their family or, or community. Um, but we know that there are probably thousands more who potentially could qualify for a transplant. Um, but unfortunately, it's just, they're just not enough organ donors every year. Why do you think it is so difficult to get people to register as a donor? Well, there are two reasons. Obviously, there's, there's a lack of, lack of awareness. Um, um, we, we actually recently had a survey done, and, and um, a big group of people 
just simply didn't know how to do it. So they, they knew about organ donation, they just didn't take the next step. So a lot of people think it's quite a complicated process, that, it's, that there's money involved, um, you know, that you have paid to be an organ donor, or that you have to go for medical tests now while you're still alive. And none of those things are true. So I think it's just that's the one group of people that, you know, just need to take that next step. And then um, the other group is obviously uh, people who, um, you know, have religious concerns or cultural beliefs. But ultimately, it all boils down to education. And obviously, as a non-profit organization, we have a, a limited amount of resources to reach the entire, I mean, we've got to reach every single South African um, to become an organ donor. We're not government-funded, so for us, it's quite a difficult task. Now, let's deal with that first group of people you mentioned who weren't sure how to go about this. Let's tell them, how do they go about it? Well, it's very easy. It literally it takes a, probably a minute of your time to sign up. As I mentioned, you don't go for any medical tests. Um, and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, you can visit our website. It's odf.org.za. We've also got a toll-free line, um, obviously open in the morning from 9 to 4. It's 0800-22-6611. And also we've got a portal on our website where you can register. Apologies, not our website, Facebook. So if you go to the Organ Donor Foundation of SA Facebook page, you can register directly from our Facebook page. And that's that, how simple it is. And that's pretty much it. That is it. They've also, I've heard people in the past, Samantha, saying things like, well, they don't really want to tell anybody, but, you know, they can take my organs, but, you know, if I wear one of those indicate like the bracelet or something saying that I'm an organ donor, they're not really going to fight that hard to save me if I'm in an accident or something. I mean, that also is a lot of nonsense. Absolutely. As, as there are a lot of myths and misconceptions around organ donation. So a lot of people, um, you know, think that doctors will let them die. The reality is, you know, doctors will do everything in their power to save your life. So if sworn by a Hippocratic Oath, and um, the team that, um, you know, who try and save your life when you've been in an accident, the trauma and ICU team, are very different team to the team who uh, coordinate a transplant. You have to be diagnosed brainstem dead by, dead by two doctors or independent of the transplant team. So it's, it's quite a process before they lead up to asking the family for the organs. Um, and, and yes, they do absolutely everything to save your life. The other thing that I always like to tell people is that it's something you need. I know people don't like to talk about death and dying, but it is something you need to discuss with your family because heaven forbid you are in an accident or something happens to you and then somebody comes to your family. It's a traumatic time for them. They don't need to still sit there thinking what would he or she have wanted me to do. Whereas if you discussed it beforehand, they would know the answer right away and it would be a lot easier on the family. Yes, absolutely. It's very important that the decision is made um, and, and um, that you discuss the decision with your family because, um, as mentioned, you know, it's a traumatic time for the family and, um, you know, they, they have to make that decision. It's already such a traumatic time. Um, and, yes, absolutely, discuss it with your family for them to know your wish. Um, that's very, very important. Now, which organs can be successfully transplanted, Samantha? You can donate, we've got five solid organs, that's your heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, and pancreas. Those five solid organs can potentially save up to seven lives because you've got two kidneys and two parts of your lungs. And then um, you can also improve the quality of life for up to 50 people by donating your um, tissue. So you've got skin, bone, corneas, and heart valves. Bearing in mind that skin is very thin layer that they remove as thin as a sunburn peel from the back of your buttocks and, and places that aren't really visible. So if you want to have a normal open casket, your body is not disfigured in any way. And do you have to then specify what it is you would like to donate? 
Well, you can do that. What we ask people to do is discuss it with your family. We're actually, um, we ask, we promote everything in its entirety and we leave it up to when the doctors or the medical professionals approach the family at the time of death. Um, if there's something that you do not feel comfortable with, discuss it with your family. Tell them, you know, you know, I prefer not to donate. We've heard people say things like, I don't want to donate my eyes or I don't want to donate my heart. Um, and then just mention that because obviously your family will have to give consent at the time of death. Now, there is also something called a living donor. Tell us about that. Yes, you can donate your, your one kidney while you're, while you're alive. Just I have to mention that at this stage in South Africa, there isn't a process or a protocol in place um, for a, it's called an altruistic non-directed donor. That is someone who is a complete stranger that wants to donate to just anyone. They want to just help anyone. So, you know, that is called an altruistic donor. They don't have a protocol in place for that yet. So what happens is if you are on a waiting list for a kidney transplant, a family member or a friend, someone that you know can donate a kidney to you. Um, but at this stage, not a complete stranger. Um, and then also a part of your liver can be donated. So that's also normally living um, relatives. Um, so as an example, from a mother to a child, um, they can use a part of the liver. Normally it's always to a child. They've done, I know they've done about one um, or two transplants in Johannesburg where um, they've donated from a, a son to his father. That's quite a risky procedure because they take about 60% of the liver and then the liver regenerates, but normally from um, an adult to a child. So there are quite a number of different ways of doing this. Absolutely. But you'd obviously have to be tested to see whether you were compatible because not just everybody can donate to everybody else. Absolutely. It needs to be a suitable match. That's why normally within families, the closer match is found. Um, and, and yeah, so it, it normally would within the family. Now, for those people now thinking about registering as an organ donor, are there any people that you would say they wouldn't be accepted? Well, we encourage everyone to sign up. We, we, we really leave it up to the doctors to decide at the time of death because we have a lot of people are phone and say, I've got this chronic disease or this chronic illness um, or whatever the case may be. I can't be a blood donor, but can I be an organ donor? And then we say absolutely because, remember, we're not making that decision now. We're encouraging people to sign up um, it's left up to the doctors to make that decision at the time of your death. So if you have, as an example, um, um, somebody asked us the other day, you know, I've got a, um, AIDS, um, HIV, so can I be an organ donor? And we said, yes, absolutely, because in Cape Town, um, at Khrushchev Hospital, they are now removing HIV-positive kidneys um, from a donor and using it for HIV-positive recipients. I remember chatting to the doctor at the time when that was first done. I think it's yes. a quite a remarkable program that she's operating there. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's always a possibility. So we encourage everyone to sign up um, because no tests are done now, only at the time of death, and, and we leave it up to the medical professionals. So the, basically we've pretty much told everybody everything now, and this is a simple process. So go ahead and sign up because, honestly, it'll, as, as Samantha says, it'll take a minute or two of your time, and you could save up to 50, well, you could assist up to 50 people and save seven lives. Absolutely. <laughs> That's quite remarkable when you think about it. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of people don't realize that. You know, when they think of organ donation, they think of, um, we had a, a slogan previously, which was the gift of life. And I think that was, you know, it sounds like you're only helping one or two people. But potentially you can save so many lives. And, and um, we just need people to think about that because, you know, one day it could be you or one of your family members that are affected 
Um, you know, we know of many patients that really struggle on, on dialysis, um, you know, for years. Dialysis patients sometimes wait five to eight years for a kidney transplant if they don't have a living donor or, or a family member who can donate. Um, and we, we've seen physically how people suffer waiting for transplants. They can't breathe, they can't walk, they can't do things for themselves. They have to rely on their, on their family and their network of supporters. So really it's, it's incredible to know that you can change so many people's lives. And I'll give out all those contact details again in a moment. But Samantha, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show this evening. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Samantha Nichols is the Executive Director of the Organ Donor Foundation. And for more information, you can go to the website. It's odf.org.za. There's a toll-free number, 0800-226611. And you can also go to the Facebook page, Organ Donor Foundation of SA. Please think about it, speak to your family, and go and register. There is a great need out there, and we really need as many of you as possible to sign up as organ donors. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Joining me on the line this evening is Paul Miller. He's the CEO of Pro, and they recently announced that something called Synchro Breathe is currently in development. It's an innovative inhaler which will bring important benefits for physicians, patients and healthcare professionals who are managing obstructive airway diseases. Paul, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much. Now, this is something that I've spoken on the show on a number of occasions about obstructive airway diseases, and synchro breathe sounds to me as if it's an answer to a prayer. It's a challenging area, obstructive airways disease. In fact, um, in South Africa, we have the fourth highest death rate in the world for asthma, and there are almost 3.9 million of us in South Africa living with asthma. So therefore, it's a big challenge, and anything that can help alleviate that horrible statistic, I think, should be welcomed. So how does this actually work now? How does the synchro breathe actually going to work? So your, your biggest challenge in, in treating asthma or living with asthma is poor technique. It's really hard for patients to coordinate when they press the button on the ventilator and actually when they inhale. And mostly it ends up in the back of their mouth or in their throat and it doesn't get into their lungs. So the, the big thing with synchro breathe is that it's a, it's a brand new inhaler. This thing is so clever, it does the thinking for you and it even counts. So all you have to do is simply three steps. You open up the inhaler, you breathe, and it automatically releases the medicine into your lungs in a coordinated way and you just close up the device and it's ready for the next time. So you don't have to push anything and try and breathe in at the same time that you're pushing something? No coordination required and therefore you're almost guaranteed that the medicine will end up in your lungs where it's supposed to be. That's incredible. I mean, that, that is something that is long overdue. The exciting thing is it's a first. It's a first in the world, and it's very unusual for a, an innovation such as this to be launched in South Africa. Typically, as a pharmaceutical company, you'll take it to America or you'll take it to Europe, your bigger markets. But the good thing here for Sipla is that we bought it first to South Africa, and it's a world first that we're actually launching a inhaler that has this capability. So where was this actually developed? Well, it was developed within our central um, clinical research team um, in CIPLA. It took 10 years to develop, and it was developed alongside a partner called J Precision. Interestingly enough, we actually ended up buying the company. We were so impressed with them. And over a 10-year period, we've, we've been in development, and we're now ready, and we believe we can get this product out to market in 2015.
Wow, so it's this year. This year. Yeah, that's the nice thing about you talking to me about this, Paul, because normally when I talk to people about things that are in development, they say, well, you know, in about 2017, 2018, possibly 2020, it should be on the market. You're talking to me about this now and saying that this year this is going to be available. Yeah, exactly. And and I think the good news is with it being available this year, it doesn't really matter if you're young or you're old, whether you have a good inspiry rate or a poor inspiry rate. All in all, this inhaler is going to really alleviate so many of those challenges for those living with asthma. The other thing, I mean, it's going to be a blessing for healthcare providers as well, because, I mean, they normally have to spend quite a bit of time trying to explain to people and demonstrate and help people to use those asthma inhalers and how to actually work them correctly. Here's a shocking statistic. 2% of all asthma sufferers actually have access to medicines and use their medicines correctly as prescribed by the doctor. That's 2%, which may go some way to explain the high mortality rate that we have in the country. Wow, I didn't realize it was only 2%. Yeah, so I think that the challenge here is how do we help the prescriber rather spend time talking to the patient about how to manage their disease rather than spending lengthy explanations on devices and how to coordinate their breathing with the device. And even the pharmacist, I think you'll find, has very little time to walk you through an inhaler. Now with this Synchro Breathe inhaler, it's, a, as I said, a simple matter of just open up the cap, breathe, it will do everything for you and even count the number of um, actuations that you've done. Is this something that is going to be available throughout the country? Is this going to be in the, in the public and private sectors of, of medicine or not? So our starting point is we're launching it immediately into the private sector. And the reason why we're starting there is that clearly with the government sector, there are tenders. And and CIPLA is responsible actually for 60% of all asthma medicines within the um, state sector are supplied by CIPLA. So therefore, we would very much like to talk to the government about um, using this inhaler as part of their regimen in in the government sector. And early early conversations we've had with them have actually shown that they're very keen. It's going to be a blessing for young people, especially children who need to have inhalers with them. I mean, this is going to be so much easier for them, especially, and also for the elderly, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, for young people, understandably, having asthma is not a a really cool thing. And when you have to walk around with a big, bulky inhaler, it even just reinforces that embarrassment. What we have done is we spent a lot of time making this inhaler look very modern, high-tech, and almost an acceptable device to be carrying around with you. But the good news, though, is that for young people, again, the coordination issue is a major factor, trying to educate, teach them how to use it. And it really becomes quite a stumbling block in terms of the drug usage. So anything that can just help them just breathe, and everything takes care of itself, I think will make a big difference. Now, people, I think, are used to those asthma inhalers. They're normally gray, and they're sort of a vague L shape, the sort of bottom part of the L, the sort of flat part. It's it's, it's a lot shorter. I mean, it's like an L-shaped thing. So compared to that, what does the Synchro Breathe look like? It's ergonomically a little bit better designed. We actually spent a lot of time. We got a number of patients and doctors to actually use the inhaler and carry it around and tell us the shortfallings of it. And based upon that and various iterations, we made changes to the actual inhaler itself. 
So now it's an ergonomically easy to hold in your hand inhaler. It has a dose counter on the back. So typically, uh, you know, when you use inhalers, you don't know if I have to use 20 puffs, 15 puffs. Am I going to run out next week? Here you can look on the back and it will tell you exactly the number of puffs you've taken. And it will warn you that you need to go and get another one. So, and, and you say it's quite, it's going to be more acceptable. Is it a different color? Is it always a still gray? Yeah, no, sir. It's white. And it's the, the green that we've chosen is, is quite a sort of uh, a funky sort of green color that we told is, is more acceptable um, than a, a gray. So it's quite cool, um, basically. Yeah. And, and the whole top facing that we've used is a lot more, you know, trending with what the modern look and feel is. And I think it's important. Um, you know, you want to have something in your bag or in your handbag that actually, um, I think, reflects your own need and your own sense of um, what's acceptable. Now, you mentioned a little earlier that it was being launched here in South Africa first. Why was that decision taken? It's a curious question because the expectation would be America yes. or, or Europe. And I suppose the question then is, well, why South Africa? Mm. Um, is there concerns around the, the, the technology? Um, not at all. CIPLA in South Africa represents more than 15% of global business. And asthma is our main therapeutic area focus. And we've done particularly well in South Africa where almost 45% of all patients in South Africa use our inhalers. And, and therefore, on that basis, um, it was decided globally that because we're so strong as a respiratory company in South Africa and we have a leading share with the third largest um, pharmaceutical manufacturer in South Africa, that we would want to make sure that we launch it where we know it's set up for success. And so hence we chose South Africa as the first market. Our second market, which is one of the biggest pharmaceutical markets in the world, is India. So we'll be entering into India and then on to America and Europe as and when um, it's appropriate. It's, always, it's nice to, to sort of be ahead of the States because normally we always come in the poor second cousins. You know, they always get everything first. Typically, um, the, you know, the health authority in America... And the Food and Drug Administration. Yeah, the yeah. FDA is a little bit quicker. They get products out within 18 months to two years, um, where we tend to take a little bit longer in South Africa, three to five, to get drugs approved. And therefore, that just naturally puts us on a back foot. So the MCC, the Medicines Control Council, was quite happy with this? Yeah, it's part of um, our portfolio, and it's a natural extension of where we are. So all in all, it's a good thing for us. And it's hopefully this, well, you say it's definitely going to be before the end of the year and we don't have that many more months to go. So for those of you looking for a new way to dispense your asthma medication, you haven't got too much longer to wait. Yeah, and um, we're very excited and we, we, we look forward to continuing to partner with physicians and pharmacists to get this out and, and hopefully educating patients on just how easy this can be. Paul, if people are wanting to find out more about the Synchro Breathe, is there a website they can go and have a look at maybe? In terms of websites, we haven't established a website as yet, but we will be establishing one specifically for SyncroBreathe. And the best thing to do right now is to talk to your doctors and pharmacists as they will be in the best position to um, counsel and coach you on what's the, the next best thing for yourself. And they have been informed. They have all the information they, already out, yeah, it's so, out there. Yeah, so as of... Um, October, we will start talking to the physicians about it, and they will have that information available. But in the meantime, if they went to your website, sipla.co.za, would they find anything there? 
They would in the next in the next four weeks. They absolutely would. Yes. Okay, so pop along to Cipla, C-I-P-L-A, Cipla.co.za. In the next four weeks or so, you'll find some information about Synchro Breathe. And if you've missed any of that information, you know you can always drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za and I can send you that uh, information and you can go and have a look for that. Paul, thank you so much for joining me on the show this evening. Rather exciting news coming out of Cipla. So thanks so much for your time. Appreciate your interest in your time as well. Thanks so much. I was chatting there with Paul Miller. He's the CEO of Supplement Pro. And we were talking about a new product which is about to launch this year called Synchro Breathe. And if you'd like to find out more, at the moment there is some, there is some information on the Supplement website. It's Supplement, C-I-P-L-A dot C-O dot Z-A. And in about the next four weeks or so, you can go and chat to your doctor because he by then would have all the information. So if you wanted to find out more about this, it sounds quite a revolutionary way of dispensing asthma medication. So go and have a look for that. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Well, recently, the Desmond Tutu HIV Foundation announced the launch of the Tutu Teen Truck. It's a new mobile unit providing HIV, TB and STI screening and healthcare counselling services to youth in underserved communities in the Cape Town area. Professor Linda Gale Becker is Deputy Director of the Desmond Tutu HIV Centre at the Institute of Infectious Disease and Molecular Medicine at UCT and Chief Operating Officer of the Desmond Tutu HIV Foundation. She's a physician scientist with a keen interest in HIV, tuberculosis and related diseases. Professor Becker, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Corin. Pleasure to be here. Now, this is rather a unique way of going about things. The Tutu Teen Truck, it sounds quite wonderful, actually. Yeah, Corinne, I think, you know, um, adolescents have been getting a raw deal for a long time, and I I think that they really need some thinking outside of the box. Um, And so this was our attempt to see if we could try something new and see if this changes how they approach health matters and whether, you know, they take on their own health given opportunities like this. Now, this was only launched about a week and a half ago. Um, has it been out and about doing its thing already? It is out in the community. It's it's modelled on its sort of adult parent vehicle, which is the Tutu Tester, and we have the Tutu Treater as well. So we know that this has worked really well in terms of reaching hard-to-reach communities, uh, people who otherwise would not have time or inclination to go to health facilities. And so it's modelled on that, but it's going to have a and it really does have, although we, we're sort of developing this further, a very funky feel, something that adolescents are going to really want to be a part of. Um, and as I say, I'm hoping they're really going to flock to it. We, we, we're getting input from adolescents to hear what works, um, and hopefully it's going to do much more than just screen for health issues, uh, but really promote promotive health as a way of living. Now, who staffs something like this? Who would be on board? Well, so uh, it's very much nurse-run, community health worker-run. So the team is largely led by a nurse practitioner who's able to diagnose and, and prescribe medication. The idea very much being that adolescents want a one-stop shop, a quick fix, if you like, um, and so that's the name of the game. Efficient, um, accessible, friendly, and to-the-point health care provision. So, uh, you know, a very organized nurse practitioner is the leader of the team, but then with a fantastic group of 
staff who understand that adolescents need information that is tailored, that is to the point, that is funky and meets their needs, um, and that's the team that goes around with them. How many of these trucks will you be having out there? Just the one? Well, we're going with one at the moment um, and really getting a feel for how that works. And if it really is a hit, then, you know, the next step is to talk to the National Department of Health and suggest this is the way for the country to go. So how do you decide where to go then? Do you, uh, is it sort of, you, you sort of work out designated areas to go to and you go there once every however many weeks or months? That's the idea, Corin. So what, what we've done with the adult um, services is the notion is you go to the hotspot. So where if you're screening for TB, you want to know you're going to get a high prevalence of TB. If you're screening for HIV, a high prevalence of HIV. With adolescents, we really are trying to promote, um, you know, a new approach to HIV-seeking behavior. I mean, health-seeking behavior, I should say. So it's a little less of an emphasis around burden of disease, but we really are seeking out burden of adolescence, if you like. So we want to go where adolescents are more likely to be in communities, step forward. And it's, it's hard work because we know that these adolescents generally are in school, so... We have to figure out our timing so that we come alongside. Obviously, for out-of-school kids, um, the morning is fine, but for the majority of adolescents, it's going to have to be afternoon-type work, Saturdays, weekends. Um, And, you know, we really want to go where we're most likely to get the biggest bang for the buck, if you like. This wouldn't be something you would consider taking into the schools themselves? We would love to do that. It's going to depend a little bit on the Department of Education, but that's an obvious way to go. Um, If that's not entirely doable, uh, then we're very happy to park next to a school so that when adolescents come out of school, they can access our services very easily. And the idea is really to bring health services, health screening right to their doorstep. And they're quite, um, the time that you've been out there now, as I said, you launched about a week and a half ago. How's the response been? Are they quite keen brilliant. to come forward? Oh, really? You know, brilliant. So, so huge interest. Um, we're starting to really learn what, what will be needed. So it's clear that access to the Wi-Fi yes. is, is huge. Um, you know, finding some internet accessibility, which we do have on board, is, is huge, uh, understandably perhaps. Uh, we're looking at uh, pedicures, manicures as part of the deal. Um, but obviously the, the main thrust is to say to people, your health is your concern. You can take charge. Do this now. Build a foundation and do this for the rest of your life. I think it's wonderful that you're adding in all these little extra bonus bits. So it really encourages the young people to approach the, the truck. Well, most of all, what the, the mobile services that the T2 team have been offering have been around normalizing, um, you know, health screening. So this should become an absolutely everyday event in people's lives. So, you know, much like you or I may go to the gym every day, you know, the, the notion is, you know, have I had my health check? Um, can I be doing something that might promote health and make sure that I'm around for children and grandchildren into the future. And and that's the whole attitude we really want to get going. We're looking into incentivization programs pretty much like the vitality program that other managed healthcare programs have. 
you know, this should not only be for the rich, it should be for everyone. And, and that's what we want to see happen in our communities around Cape Town. The other thing which I think might come out of this as well, Professor, is the fact that if you're out there, you're sort of in everybody's face, if you like, and, you know, it's it's quite a cool thing to visit the 2-2 teen truck. You remove quite a lot of that stigma as well, of which we always have a problem with that. Well, you know, I think, and, and this has really been the... I think the most gratifying aspect of the tutu testers, people told me eight years ago when we started, no one would come to them. Well, it's become a household brand. And, you know, we never arrive in a community where we don't have a queue of people wanting to get on the vehicle, get themselves tested and screened in a quick and efficient and friendly, uh, you know, non-prejudicial way. And I'm pretty sure that adolescents are going to flock to the same service. And, you know, I think it's a new way of doing things. It's not to say our health facilities don't have a role. They have a real role, but they're oversubscribed. And, you know, this is just a different way of doing business. I really like the idea of taking the care to the people. Absolutely. And I think that's the only way that we can really partner with our health services in a way, kind of leaving the health services for those people who really, really need curative care and who need interventions. Let's take the promotive, preventive stuff into the communities so that people can get on with their lives and, and, you know, just incorporate them into their daily lives. And that's the plan. Now, you also mentioned that they, the, the staff on board can also prescribe. So if they need to, they are able to do that as well, to dispense Absolutely. medicine. Absolutely. I think this is really key for an adolescent. They don't want to hear, okay, so now you have to go there and then you have to go there yes. and then you have to go there. They want to get it fixed today. Otherwise, you know, one thing I know about adolescents, the attention span is short. Very <laughs> short. Respect Very short. I guess that is the case. But you really want to solve the problem there and then if you can. And so that's our mantra. You know, get to the problem, get to the diagnosis, get to the solution as quickly as you can. Get it sorted because they've got lots of things they need to do in their busy lives. And how is something like this funded, Professor? Well, at the moment, we've had a wonderful uh, grant from a company called Alia. But what I'm really hoping is that we'll show that this is a cost-effective way of of doing business in the health uh, sort of environment. We've already shown the tutu tester is a cost-effective uh, measure. I really do think we need new solutions for adolescents. And hopefully, you know, this is something that our national government will pick up on and, and see a way to fund in the future. So it sounds like it's definitely the way to go for the future. Hopefully. And we can, you know, I always think you can get them when they're young. You know, you can start Absolutely. them off with the right so, information you know, I, there. I, I really believe in this sort of cashing in on evolving mm. capacity. And there is no doubt that an adolescent is the most fantastic, rich, uh, wonderful um, material to, to work on and make sure that we can mold it in a direction that's going to go towards healthy choices and healthy directions in the future. And again, as you said, as you say, for the for their own future, you're starting yeah. it, preparing the groundwork now for a later for later on, Indeed. which is the way to go. Professor, thank you so much for joining me on the show this evening, and good luck with the two two team truck. Sounds like a wonderful initiative. Thanks, Karen. I, you know, really thank you for the for the interest. Only a pleasure. Take Pro- care. Good night. Professor Linda Gale Becker is Deputy Director of the Desmond Tutu HIV Centre at the Institute of Infectious Disease and Molecular Medicine at UCT and Chief Operating Officer of the Desmond Tutu HIV Foundation. For more information on the foundation, you can take a look. The website is desmondtutuhivfoundation.org.za. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health.
Joining me this evening is Sylvie Herford, and she has written the most fabulous book. It's called More, M-O-R-E, Allergen-Free Recipes for the Whole Family. Sylvie, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Now, as I mentioned to you before we started chatting now, is it, it, the, the sort of thing, the blurb that goes with the book, it says it's the perfect book for managing your children's allergies or even preventing the allergies altogether. Why is right. that? What is in this book that's going to do that? Well, the essence of the book is that it, it, it excludes the five main allergens. Obviously, there are all sorts of things that people are allergic to, but the five most common main allergens are wheat, dairy, eggs, fish, and nuts. So what I've done is I've excluded those ingredients from all the recipes. And the wisdom at the time of my children having been born was that they had a highly allergic profile, giving their fathers and my allergic profiles. And that if we kept them off those particular ingredients for the first year, um, that the child would then mature, the gut would mature, and we would delay or, in fact, completely prevent the onset of allergy, which is what happened in the case of my children. So the thing when you, people hear about, you know, well, you're going to have to take all those things out of the food, we're going to end up with this very bland-looking plate of food, which is <laughs> yeah. actually not the case at all. Well, I think the thing is we all rely heavily on cheese. I think especially when feeding children, we're like, oh, we're going to give them some vegetables, just chuck on some cheese. And I've actually mentioned in the book that that's always sort of my acceptable way of serving food. But what I've done is try to include whole foods, um, ingredients that are interesting, and then, you know, beautiful herbs and spices and things that really kind of zhuzh up the meal as opposed to it being very bland and boring. And if you look at a lot of Mediterranean cooking, it actually doesn't include dairy. It doesn't include wheat. So it's actually, you know, take some of your inspiration from there too. You've actually, the, the book itself, it, it covers pretty much every type of possible food your child might want to eat or even you might want to eat. <laughs> Exactly, yes. <laughs> well, we had to eat it too. So. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no point in cooking for the child and cooking for the family separately. So, you know, that's the, yeah. what I liked about the book was, as I said she, as well, I mean, there's things in here that I thought, well, I have got no small children with allergies. I don't have any right. allergies, but I don't see why I should be depriving myself of what's in this book. So, you know, <laughs> well, I'm delighted <laughs> to hear that. Going to be making loads of these things. They looked absolutely fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, I know they were. I mean, we, we, you know, I developed all the recipes myself and, um, you know, we made the food over and over and over again. And uh, Warren Heath, who did the photography, obviously did the most beautiful job of making it look as delicious as possible. And, um, yeah, it, 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 is, it is delicious. And, um, you know, one can always tailor things according to your personal preferences. I don't think that recipes should be, you know, finite. You know, if you want to add more garlic, go for it. If you want to chuck in a bunch of coriander, do it. You know, it's there. there it's a, I like to see it as a working document. <laughs> the thing I liked really about this book, I mean, it, it mentions talking about, you know, trying to do, either managing your children's allergies or preventing the allergies from occurring altogether. But looking through this book, it is so bright, it's so vibrant, that it really, it would encourage children to come along and want to help you in the kitchen and possibly learn how to cook a few basic things. I don't think you can leave them alone in the kitchen, but just, I mean, these, these Well, my 13-year-old son would disagree with well, you. Um, well, if they were younger than that, I wouldn't leave them alone. At 13, I would, yes. But, of course. I mean, these pictures are enough to make the children want to go and make it themselves. 
Well, I think that, yeah, that was something that, as I say, I didn't really set out to do. Um, but as the book evolved, so and also with the inclusion of my children in the pictures, that I realized with beautiful design by Matthew Ibbotson that it really was actually quite lovely for kids to, to look at it and want to, be, want to be part of the whole cooking process, which I think is very important for them. I believe firmly that, that uh, children should eat the same food as adults. I believe that they should take part in the preparation of food. And it's interesting for them, and I think it empowers them too. So what is your favorite thing in here? I know that's always difficult because there's so much in here. But, I mean, what would you say is your favorite section? Let's put it that way. Mm, there are so many. I'm just trying to think of what my absolute best is. I think I'm incredibly pr- pr- proud of the breads. I mean, the breads turned out beautifully well. And I absolutely love, love them, although they're a complete pain to make, especially the potato one. But I do say that in the book. <laughs> um, and then from the, from the visual point of view, I think the star-shaped fruit salad is just, so pretty and so sweet, and there's such a lovely picture of Rose next bit. I, my, I think my personal favorite is probably Mush, because it yes. reminds me of my childhood. I was reading about that. It's, it's something about your dad or something. He used yeah. to, tell, tell us the story about the Mush. Well, <laughs> Mush was something that, that started in our family, and I think initially it was if you were sick, you got Mush. So the basis of mush, mush was an onion and then a whole bunch of vegetables which were mashed together and then a little dollop of marmite was put into it. And this is what you ate if you were sick. And I loved mush so much that I was given mush if a babysitter was coming over and I was given mush if I had an exam to do. And I was given <laughs> mush you know, for, if a boyfriend broke up with me. Um, mush was just, mush is my comfort food. <laughs> and I mean, my, my children are mortified. And mommy, how can you call something mush in your book? Well, because that's what it is. And, I mean, this is, it's so simple, and the kids will love this because, you know, especially given the name, I think the name evokes this whole kind of, <laughs> it's not really food, it's mush, you know. So how to get your kids to eat vegetables in one fell swoop, you know. Yeah, exactly. Make mush or a smoothie. Mush or a smoothie. <laughs> Absolutely. Kidding. You know, that, that's, that's the thing. You know, you, you have to sort of try and encourage kids. Because one of the things that they, most of them will just about have a nervous breakdown about is the fact they might have to eat a vegetable or two. You know, or, it's or, interesting. It, that, that whole vegetable thing is quite interesting. And what I decided was when I started, you know, getting my children solids and introducing new foods and things like that, I thought I would take a completely neutral approach all the food that I gave them because I think a lot of the whole vegetable thing is parents being terrified that the child is going to turn down the broccoli so it's almost like that they're, they're you know they're like horses they can smell your fear yeah. <laughs> when you approach them with a, with a plate of vegetables or a plate of broccoli they're like mm, no I don't trust this one so if you do have the courage of your own conviction that it is delicious and you present it in a very neutral fashion then sometimes the children actually don't have that response to vegetables I was very fortunate mine didn't yeah, I was very lucky too. Mine seemed to devour salads and vegetables. My friends hated me, but my son yeah, loved salads, salads and vegetables. And when they they were sort of yeah. trying to coax the child into eating just just a taste of a tomato, yeah. mine was asking for extra salad. You know, so. Well, I know. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't it make you feel terribly smug? Oh, it does. It does rather. <laughs> yeah, me it too. does. Yeah. yeah. I don't know so what ha- I don't know what happened, but he just seemed to like it. So I wasn't yeah. going to argue about that. I thought, well, it's fine. Just keep eating it. I also used to make Absolutely. patterns. I used to make people out of the veg- out of the vegetables. So the cucumber yeah. slices were the sort of the eyes, and then we'd have the carrots were like the oh. nose, and I'd make a plate that looked like a. You're person. a good mom. I just a- make mush. <laughs> well, I didn't know about mush then. You see, Sylvia, you didn't tell me about that then. <laughs> I didn't tell you about. I should have told. I should have called you. The one thing I liked in here, which I thought was such fun, were exploded apples, and it's oh, so simple to yes. make. Yeah. 
Tell people about making exploded apples. Exploded apples are just so stupidly easy. It feels like the whole thing is a lot of these recipes are mm. so easy. I feel like I'm cheating. I've got imposter <laughs> syndrome. Um, <laughs> very easy. And if I remember correctly, you call the apples, stuff them with raisins and cinnamon and a little bit of sugar with xylitol. I'm not anti-sugar, but I do put xylitol in as an option. Bake them, wait for them to explode and serve them. I mean, how simple is that? I know, and they are so delicious, and they smell so good. The smell of the cinnamon is so delicious. If you want to be fancy, you can put a cinnamon stick in just to show off. Oh. And, I mean, they are just beyond delicious. Okay, if we have people who are thinking about this, you preheat the oven to 200 degrees right, Celsius. And then, and then you pop them in. You pop and they them are in. just, they are, as I said, just, I mean, I think a lot of food, a lot of cooking is actually a lot easier than we think it is. I mean, we're all quite intimidated by, you know, the Ottolenghi's of the world and things mm. like that. But actually, if you just break it down, it's, it's, it's easy. And I mean, you, told, really, you spoke really a little earlier about the star-shaped fruit salad. I mean, you're just cutting out little shapes with the fruit, which will make this doing. fruit a yeah. whole lot more interesting for the child. To eat absolutely. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks pretty and it's nice for a party. And, mm. you know, it's just, it's just a, it's a nice thing to do for the kids every now and then instead of sort of flinging an apple at them. The one thing I also that I've never made and I'm actually going to make it because I, make, I love to make pumpkin fritters, but you make sweet corn right. and pumpkin fritters. Sweet corn and pumpkin fritters, yeah. Mm. Absolutely delicious. In fact, at the launch that we had um, a couple of weeks ago at Society Bistro, um, Steph Maria, who's their exec head chef, made those for us for the launch, and they were absolutely divine. And they are so simple. They're so simple, and it's just regular grocery ingredients, bit of maizena, and off you go. Yeah, and as I said, I've only ever made just plain old pumpkin fritters. I'm going to start adding some sweet corn to it now. Add some sweet corn. Mm. Add some sweet corn. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, it's, it. it's simple things like veg- vegetable kebabs. I mean, it's, you know, putting things on a stick. Kids love that because mm. they can hold it in their hand and sort of, you know, bite <laughs> it do. off the they end, love you know. They to do it themselves. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, basically what you've done here is you've actually given parents – I mean, some parents are going to go, well, it's about time. Thank you. Because I, I can't, <laughs> this child just won't eat anything. And I, there's nothing I can feed this child because it's allergic to whatever. Well, but I mean, this book now is going to save your life because it's got everything in it. Well, I really, really hope so. That's what I wanted to do. And I, I wanted to just show people that it is easy and that you can do it. And, you know, since I started writing the book to now, um, the ingredients are so accessible and there's so much more on offer that you can actually use as replacement ingredients in recipes um, so that you can avoid the allergens. And, you know, I was a highly allergic child. My poor mother had to put up with, you know, all manner of hell trying to get me onto various things to eat. And and I really, really hope that this is hugely helpful to people. The one thing I rather liked, and your housekeeper sort of says that it's it's boosts appetites, which some parents yes, would be delighted yes, at, Christina, and yes, settles yes. the tummies of restless infants. Two things that, that most parents battle with a lot, I think. Something called yeah. rooibos sun tea, which also, yet Roibos again, is very simple to make. It's very simple to make. An interesting thing about the sun tea is that, you know, the whole thing about robust is it's, it's antioxidant properties. Mm. And um, some of those do get destroyed, destroyed by the addition of boiling water. So, in fact, the sun, the sun tea is just a robust, couple of robust bags in some water that is steeped in the sun. And then you add whatever flavors you want to it, and there you go. So you just put it in the jug, and it sits, sits on a windowsill or something in the kitchen, and leave it yeah, there it for about four hours. Yeah, 
or outside with a cloth over the top, or you know, dare I say, doily. Yeah, you know? yes, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and that's it. And it just it literally just steeps into the water, warms up, chill it down, and and there you go. It, it couldn't be easier. Now I have to ask you, Sylvia, about Daddy's infamous lamb stew, which apparently your, oh. children, your children would eat every day of the week, given half a chance. <laughs> My ex-husband and his lamb stew, he laughed at the launch because, I mean, of course I had to bring this up, he would make these vast volumes of lamb stew um, and dish it up to the kids night after night after night after night and they absolutely loved it. And I just got to the point if I never saw this lamb stew again, it was going to be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> and and also quite a simple thing to make. It's not a very difficult very, recipe at all. No, not difficult at all. And that's the thing is, that's why I'd like the book to be a starting point for people. So they can say, oh, well, you know, we can make a lamb stew, we could make a chicken stew, we could make a beef stew, we could make a vegetable stew. And to sort of just give them the guidelines so that they don't, you know, they don't have to always follow the recipe. They can just be... Uh, you know, uh, maybe inspired by it and say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to try my own thing. I mean, not too much because I think I would like to do another book, but, you know, just, yeah. just enough so that people feel that they're getting value for their money. Yeah, I mean, just but going back to Daddy's infamous lamb stew, the thing I like about that particular recipe as well is that you just put everything in a pot. I like stuff where yeah. you don't have to measure this and put that in and stir it for two minutes and then add something else for 30 seconds and then just put it all in the pot and switch the pot on. Yeah, you know? literally hoi it in and like if you've got that. a pressure cooker, even better. Yeah, and I like that. I don't, I don't have to faff. Yeah. I can just put everything in the pot. Me too, because I'm terribly lazy. Yeah, no, I don't. Like, I mean, but the thing is, you know, it's, it's, it's as I said, it's, it's not only for kids because you've got things like keftidis in it. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly. Yeah, um, I mean, it, yeah, I mean that that's really a, it's a Greek dish that you wouldn't normally think of feeding to children. But yet you can. Exactly, but it's something that is so delicious. Mm. Those tiny, tiny meatballs are so cute, and kids absolutely love them. And I remember, you know, looking at the meatballs in Pick and Pay or Woolies or whatever, and they were so full of, full of, you know, wheat fillers. I just think, oh, I'd love to give the kids meatballs. And then, you know, to make it a little bit more interesting, well, let's give it a, an international flavor. And, you know, like, like I said about the veg tree calore, which is essentially just blended vegetables swirled together, I think we came up with the names and the, and the kind of dishes more for my entertainment than anything else. <laughs> and the one thing I thought was rather different, which is something I've never tried, is ostrich baburti with a banana yes. custard. Now, that to me yes. is completely new. I've never even thought of making the custard banana custard. Well, you see, one doesn't. But the thing is, is that ostrich always lends itself very well to being served with a fruit or something sweet. And banana rises. So you can actually make this lovely sort of semi-custard with the banana instead of an egg custard on top of the paburti. And I thought, well, why not ostrich then instead of beef um, so that the two flavors are lovely and complementary? Because for kids with an egg allergy, I mean, it would be a problem. You couldn't mm. have this. So, I mean, to be able to make Baburti now with a banana custard, what a pleasure. With a banana custard, yeah, what a pleasure. <laughs> what an absolute pleasure. So, you, you, you've, you've, taken, yeah, you've taken traditional recipes a lot of the time in here as well, and you've yes. made them accessible to people who are needing to exclude things. Because often people will look at a recipe and think, oh, I'm definitely going to make that. And you'll think, oh, well, no, it's got an egg in it or it's got wheat or it's got – you've actually taken yeah. those those self-same recipes and redone them, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of them are, are South African recipes because I'm very proudly South African and you know, I grew up here and it's, what I, it's the food I love and it reminds me of my grannies and it reminds me of my childhood. 
And other things are, you know, sort of nursery-type foods, things like cottage pie and, you know, various things that, that everybody wants to eat. But it's, it, And I think that was a challenge. It was quite exciting for me to try and find different ways to make these things without including allergens. And the one thing for the breastfeeding moms or even just settling little ones was the jungle mm. juice. I thought that was such fun. Jungle juice. Oh, I had the most wonderful clinic sister um, who I desperately tried to contact for years afterwards while I was doing the book. I and mean, her name was Catherine Sutton. So if she's listening, she must find me on Facebook. And she was just wonderful. She was the most nurturing, fabulous person who helped us, you know, obviously with the, with the breastfeeding and with the kids' vaccinations and things like that. And Jungle Juice was actually her recipe. And um, she gave that to me. And I included it in the book, you know, as a, as a little little sort of testimony to her and it's it's absolutely brilliant wonderful stuff and we can't get away from those sick children i mean you you responded to mush but i think half the time you weren't really all that sick you just wanted the mush but they say that you're getting better i mean they always say chicken soup is the thing yes and you've got a recipe a very nice simple recipe in here for chicken soup simple 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 absolutely and you know it is the thing and um you know even if it doesn't really work it makes you feel better it's even if turkey doesn't really make you sleepy, you think that it does. <laughs> <laughs> that is the point about this. You've actually made it so accessible and so simple, as I said in the very beginning, something that kids would be delighted to help you in the kitchen with and maybe sort of start off their own sort of interest in cooking. I think it would be fantastic. Absolutely. And as I say, you know, even if they, de- as you say, sorry, even if they develop an interest in cooking, it doesn't have to be allergen-free cooking. It no. can just be cooking. You know, how wonderful, what a wonderful hobby for a child to have, which, you know, is helpful to everybody ultimately. Absolutely. But as I said, this book's enough to get anybody started because it's so bright. It's got lots of pictures of kids and children's drawings. Oh, and so kind. Thank you. It's I'm wonderful. so proud of it. I think it's so pretty and it's just so lovely to have somebody, have someone say it back to me. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's probably the brightest book on my desk. It's, it's, just, it's just so fabulous. And the, the, let's talk about being fabulous. The publishers have been fabulous, and they've given me three copies of your book to give away to my listeners. So, for the how f- fabulous! So I have a- fabulous publishers, don't I? You do. So, in a moment, <laughs> I will give out the number, and they'll be able to call in. And the first three callers through will each win themselves a copy of the book. It's called More M O R E Allergen-Free Recipes for the Whole Family, and it's by Sylvie Herford. So, in a moment, don't call now because I'm not yet in the in the place to be able to answer the phone. So don't call now. I'll give you the number in a moment. Sylvie, thank you so much for joining us on the show this evening and good luck with this book. I think it's absolutely wonderful and hopefully it'll do very well. And you said there's another one in the offing. I do look forward to that. Hi, and thank you so very, very much for having me and for all the good wishes. And yes, let's, let's hope it does wonderfully well and I hope it's helpful to everybody. I was chatting there with Sylvie Herford, and she's the author of More, M-O-R-E, Allergen-Free Recipes for the Whole Family. It's published by Human and Rousseau. It's available at all good bookstores. And now, this is the best part, you can win one of three copies of this book. You can call in now on 0892-10-2010. And the first three callers through will each win themselves a copy of More by Sylvie Herford, which is published by Human and Rousseau. And when I said call in now, just give me one more minute, just one more minute to get out of the studio so I can go and answer your calls. But while we're waiting for me to go and do that, I just want to say if you'd like, if you're not going to be unfortunately one of the ones who wins the book, 
I do have two of the recipes if you're interested, the ostrich babuti with a banana custard and the pumpkin and sweet corn fritters recipes. So if you'd like those, just drop me a mail to healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you those. And that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with time to travel. So join me then. And don't forget there's a list of available documents for Health Matters. If you'd like any of them, take a look at the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM, or drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za. Well, it's time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Kirker, or he could be on the phone trying to call me for one of those books. <laughs> you well, I, I, I hate it when you do all the speaking about food just before I come on air because I have to stop myself from salivating uh, too much. I really want to try that ostrich and uh, banana custard babuti. It sounds like an absolute winner. Do look forward uh, to trying that one. Also look forward to hearing from Karen when she returns uh, tomorrow between 9 and uh, 10. That is, of course, uh, for time to travel back on a Wednesday night. Uh, do join her then. It's nighttime music through until uh, 12 o'clock tonight. Yes, let's wind things uh, down, shall we? But uh, first, of course, it is time for the news.